Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today is Ben Yearsley, Investment Director at High Net Worth Investment Service, Wealth Club. Inflation has not been a key concern for investors for a few years, but last month UK Consumer Prices Index inflation, or CPI for short, jumped to 0.5% and the rate is now the highest since December 2014. Ben, this is still relatively low, but do you think it is the beginning of an upward trend and is it time for investors to review whether their portfolios can stand up to it? I think the first thing to consider is the oil price and uh, the major impact that has on inflation. And the oil price yesterday was, I think, $47, $48, which is relatively low, but it's come off a very, very low point of 29 back in February. But it was 75 72, 75 about this time last year. So that's still quite a big impact on the inflation target or a level of inflation because it is you know, 25, 30% lower than a year ago. So I don't see inflation being a massive problem in the short to medium term. But if you are rooting around in your portfolio, what sort of assets and funds are particularly vulnerable to inflation? I think you've, you've got to look at companies that... Uh, have kind of variable inputs as their as their you know big cost base. So things like supermarkets, for example, they've got lots of variable inputs. They've got lots of transportation costs. So if oil suddenly goes from forty five to seventy five dollars, for example, their cost base goes up massively. But they can't put the cost of the goods up in the shop to, to necessarily compensate. And also the cost of uh, the raw materials. You know, if if there's a drought somewhere and the grain harvest is poor or whatever, you know, those things factor straight through into their input prices that make it very, very difficult for them to actually pass on to consumers in this day and age. So retailers generally are not particularly good at combating the effects of inflation. Now, you're saying inflation is not an issue yet, but if it does increase and it went on, should investors remove these sensitive assets from their portfolios or you know, should, should you still keep an allocation to some of these things? I think it's very dangerous removing things for a one specific outcome. You should have a balanced portfolio, and as part of a balanced portfolio, there'll be different parts of it that work at different times. And, you know, it's timing, and it? When, you know, it's not, don't forget, inflation isn't the only, going back mm. to supermarkets, for example, retailers, inflation isn't the only impact on their bottom line, on their sales, and on their revenues and margins. There's a whole host of other factors to play in there. So you shouldn't just sell on one specific thing that might be concerning you. There needs to be a whole raft of things and changing. But also inflation could be good. You know, there are sectors that benefit from inflation, mm. for example. And I suppose you look at it, you know, if, if, if inflation does come back uh, in the UK in the next 6, 9, 12 months, what will the impact of that be, for example? And you say, well, actually, well, that will probably mean there's going to be interest rate rises. And you go, OK, well, what's then good? Who benefits from things like interest rate rises? So it's kind of, again, it's coming have the balance in the portfolio of different things that perform at different times. I suppose sort of t- turning to that then, um, what sort of assets and funds are good to include in your portfolio if inflation is going to rise, both to benefit from it and, and both to protect against it? Hmm, okay, well, let's t- let's t- I'll answer that in two ways. So if you take the interest rate rise bit first, for example, so the Bank of England, if inflation comes about, they will have to put interest rates up. Who will benefit from that? Things like banks and financial services companies and, and insurance companies historically have done well there's more interest margin, it's easier to make a profit in those environments. So things like banks may well prosper. But you can also look at other um, other sectors that do well that can actually pass on 
inflation price rises. You know, if you've got a strong brand, a strong demographic, a monopoly situation, or where you can actually pass on that or a very, very good product, you can pass on the rises. Lots of consumer staple companies, for example, with big dominant market shares, will probably be able to pass on price rises. Um, or you can get to more specific areas that could be of interest that have a specific linkage to RPI or inflation. For example, solar. You know, it's a very specialist yeah. area mm. or infrastructure as a slightly mm. broader thing. But it's a very specialist area. But for example, you know, you can buy solar investment trusts. Yeah. As an yeah. example. And they're literally making money by generating electricity, mm. solar, photovoltaic uh, panels. They're, the, what they generate is generally linked to RPI. So the, mm. the rebates they get or the subsidies they get is linked to RPI. Now, you could buy something like that if you are concerned about inflation because you can buy a reasonably high level of income today that is inflation-linked. Mm. So it's a nice hedge. So something like Foresight Solar Fund, for example, it's an investment trust, uh, yields about over 6%. Inflation kicks off, they'll still be generating the same level of electricity, but they'll be able to sell it for a much better price. Now, these assets are quite attractive. Are they expensive at the moment? And do you think they're worth it if they are expensive? I'm a big fan of infrastructure generally. Mm. So going back to you talking about looking mm. at infrastructure as, as an example, because that has traditionally mm. been a good hedge for inflation because mm. monopoly assets that can put the prices up. And... Um, I think there has been a demand, a big demand for those kind of assets in the last three, four, five years. And they're not cheap. I mean, there's lots of these good compounding companies mm. that year in, year out deliver the deliver the numbers, which, you know, people like, investors like. And they're not they're not mm. cheap. But again, as a long term part of a diversified portfolio, you are going to have bits of it that are expensive and bits of it that are cheaper. And, and, and again, it's having having the blend and not having, having everything all in one place. When you were choosing um, a fund to beat inflation, um, you know, what are some of the key attributes you should look for? If you're going to beat inflation, you need a real return. And to get a real return, you need real assets. Mm. So you're talking equities and, and property. Uh, there obviously are some fixed interest funds that are specifically inflation-linked. For example, um, AXA Distribution, managed by the legendary Jim Stride, who's been in a city domain for years, has got 40% of the fund in index-linked gilt. Now, mm. that's a perfect, that is uh, that's a proper hedge against mm. inflation. M&G also have an inflation-linked bond fund. Um, but they're going to be relatively lower-risk investments. To beat inflation over the long term, you do need real assets, which means equities. Mm. And you need to look, you know, there's a, obviously a whole host of equity funds out there. But, you you know, you, you want something like uh, Fidelity European, for example, managed mm. by Sam Morse. You know, he's looking for companies that are, that can compound the dividend over time. So he's not necessarily looking for the highest yielders today. Yeah. He's, but he's looking for companies that are relatively stable, that have good cash generation and can, consistently increase their dividend not sort of year in year out but on you know over the long term and that's where mm. you get the inflation proofing coming in okay uh, would you say there's any particular risks um attached to um these kinds of equity funds i don't think there are anything specific that are high risk in, in these kind of funds no um they might be buying more expensive companies mm. um you know if you're looking at these long-term compounders you know, Fundsmith buys them, Lion Trust, uh, yeah. Special Sits buys them. You know, mm -hmm. these kind of funds that that are buying these relatively stable long-term companies, 
but are you know consistently deliver seven, eight, nine, ten percent growth per mm. year. They're not cheap at the moment. You know, right. these consumery staple yeah. companies are not cheap. Twenty twenty five times earnings for the likes, of, you know, Diageo and Unilever mm. and Nestle and they are sought after because they deliver this consistent compounding. So I suppose going to answer your question, price is the, the biggest risk in that they are, mm. you know, typically a bit pricier. Yeah. I suppose because of buying stable but steady companies, would they get left behind if it was a, a market valley? Possibly, because in market rallies, you tend to get the cyclical stuff, the mm-hmm. riskier stuff, the banks, for example, yeah. that would take off. The miners probably would as well. Mm. Uh, you know, mining's another one that's actually, you know, people do often say it's an inflation hedge, but I'm never quite convinced about that. Or gold, mm. for example, <laughs> never quite convinced about that either. Yeah. But, you know, the, the riskier cyclical stuff, mining, banks, mm. financial, you know, that's what will take off in a market rally. And, yeah, some of those other ones might well be left behind, but they've had such a good run over the last five years. If you've got them in there, mm. you're not going to be disappointed with a period of lowest growth from them. Now, when you're putting together a portfolio, um, you know, with an eye to inflation proofing, are any particular mistakes you should try to avoid um, falling into? I don't think there are. The sound of repeating myself here, it's having the balance in your portfolio, so it's not all pointed one way. So it's not all pointed towards inflation's going to happen or not all pointed towards interest rate rises or cuts or uh, not all pointed to a possible Brexit. You know, mm. it's having the balance in the portfolio of different things doing that, that respond to different areas. Okay. Now, Rathbone Income Fund has a strong long-term performance record and offers an attractive and reliable yield, a reason why we count it among our IC Top 100 funds. But earlier this month, it was announced that it would no longer be categorised as a UK equity income fund by the Investment Association, the representative body for asset managers which ranks funds into sectors to help investors compare them to similar options. The Investment Association now counts Rathbone Income as a UK all-company sector fund rather than a UK equity income sector fund because Rathbone Income failed to yield more than 10% above the FTSE All Shares yield. Rathbone Income follows a number of high-profile income funds in being ejected from the UK equity income sector for failing to meet this requirement. Examples including Invesco Perpetual High Income run by Mark Barnett and Schroeder Income. Ben, do you think this IEA requirement to yield more than 10% above FTSE All Shares yield is a fair hurdle for funds to meet? I think people are getting a bit too worked up about this. And uh, the, the rules are there. Everyone knows what the sector rules are. All the managers know what the sector rules are. And partly down to the way it's calculated, it's calculated on the, the historic yield or the, the historic income paid over the over the current share price or unit price. And that leads to sort of weird anomalies mm. where uh, if a fund has had a good performance, capital performance, they're then penalised, which seems to me it's not helpful to invest. I mean, you've got to look at all this and say, OK, at the end of the day, what what will the consumer think of this? Is it actually helping or hindering them? And I think it's a bit of a mess, mm. frankly. The IA need to get a grip of, get, get a hold of this mm. because some people will then consider selling, wrongly selling Rathbone income because it's mm. not in sector or Mark Barnett's funds that are very good. Um, and funny, actually, there's a fund that's gone back this week into it. So the um, GLG UK Income Fund managed by Henry Dixon, mm. that's actually gone back into the yeah, equity right. income sector because it's now meeting the income criteria mm. again. The whole thing is a bit of a farce and yeah. it, it can't be good for consumers and, and investors mm. and therefore need to get a grip on it. <laughs> I don't know if there's an easy answer. Maybe the answer is putting it down to, you know, it has to yield at least the FTSE All Share. Mm. 
Mm. You know, at least the level of that, or have income as the priority, or or something. Yeah. But it's not satisfactory that funds that have had a good period of performance have to move out because they they're suddenly under the income criteria. There needs to be more flexibility in there around it. I think. Okay. No, um, I if I think from the point of view of investors, it makes it a bit harder because, uh, you know, if you're needing to allocate some report for your equity income, you might well, once upon a time, have gone to data site, pulled up the UK equity income sector and done some streaming to see which funds might be best for you. But if a, a good, um, if good UK equity income funds aren't included in the UK equity income sector any longer. If you, an investor, are looking for some equity income funds for your portfolio, should you make this your first port of call in the search? Or, you know, where should you go to find a fund? Or how should you try and find an equity income fund? I would start there. Equity income, don't forget, the whole point about the equity income sector is it is making income and dividend growth a part of the priority of the investment, whether it's in the sector or not. So I would definitely start there. I'd, I'd almost turn it around a different way and say, if you have some of these funds that have been moved out, mm. don't worry. They're still an equity income fund. Yeah. So yeah. I'd almost turn around and say, yeah, the other way. So when you're doing your research, yeah, definitely, that's where you start. It makes perfect sense. And equity income forms mm. a huge part of many people's portfolios. Yeah. Quite rightly so, I think. Um, it, it'll get too complicated searching elsewhere. So I think, yes, start there. And both investment trusts as well as, as funds, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, AIC, UK yeah, Equity exactly, Sector. Yeah, yeah. Th- their version of it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think it's the other way. It's kind of, If you have invested in these funds and you find mm-hmm. it's moving to a different sector, as long as the fund is still delivering mm-hmm. for you for what you want, which it will be, hopefully, uh, don't sell. So I think yeah. it's turning it around the other way. So, yeah, if, you, if you're looking, still looking that place, because that's where mm-hmm. 95% of them are. Mm-hmm. But if you've lost one from that sector, don't worry about it. Yeah, I think the worry is um, there's some actually really good UK equity income funds that you wouldn't find. Like you say, there's perhaps 95% of the goodies yeah. are in there. So, um, you know, if perhaps you're an investor and you're not familiar with every chop and change to sectors, um, once you've run your numbers on the UK equity income sector, um, you know, should you look and how would you look elsewhere? Where would you look elsewhere? Perhaps to find some of these good equity income funds that have been kicked out but might actually be rather good for you. Well, the only other sector to go to is the UK oil companies because okay. that's where they move. Mm. So they yeah. move into that sector. And uh, I suppose the simplest way for an investor to search that sector is by yield. Yeah. So, so just look at the inc- the dividend pay, mm. you know, look at the percentage yield or the predicted yield of, on the fund. And invariably, at the top, if you sort it that way, mm. now that Rathbone's gone in there as well, you'll see Rathbone's near there. It might not be at the top, yep. but you'll see Invesco yeah. there, you'll see Rathbone's there. Yeah. Because, you know, most of the the UK oil company sector, dividends aren't a priority. So the yield mm. might only be 2% on most of those funds, yeah. rather mm. than the equity income that are generally going to, well, they're supposed to be 35 to 4 Mm. Um, so that's that's a simple way of doing it. UK oil companies, because that's where they end up, mm. and just sort it by yield. And then you'll see you know, those near the top of the tables uh, in terms of that. And then you can go, okay, fine. And then you look mm. into the history and go, oh, they got kicked out for this, but it is still an equity income fund. Mm. And of course, um, other considerations to take into account would be their total returns and, and charges and uh, other factors as well. And what the priority, I mean, yeah. w- mm. what is the fund trying to do? And there were definitely cases in the past of equity income funds that were tying themselves in knots 
over income and dividend payments and for example uh, i won't name the fund because it's probably unfair but there was this one fund that was committed itself to delivering a dividend increase every single year mm. now that's fine for a number of years but you're always going to have market downturns when it's very difficult to do that and they tied themselves in awful knots trying mm. to deliver this and becoming more and more creative with the way they got the income mm. so i think you need to look at the mandate look at the fund look at the the, the, the income record you know over five years, over 10 years, go, okay, well, has it delivered over that period? Not over short time periods, because you're going to have these one or two year fluctuations. But over a five or 10 year period, what's the income been from that fund? Has it increased over time? If it's the mm. same as it is 10 years ago, you go, well, okay, well, that's not very good. But, you know, if, if you have a, you know, you're always going to have a bumpy ride, but as, as mm. long as over a reasonably long time period that it's increased and the rises of, you know, Again, going back to first principles, I suppose. Why are you investing in equity income? You want to, you want your capital and your income to keep pace and to beat inflation. Mm. Ultimately, you want your spending power to be maintained. So you can look at the dividend record over a long term. Go right. Well, inflation's done ten percent over the last five years. What's the income of this fund done? Has it gone up ten percent over that period rather than just year on year? And if it has, it's doing broadly. You know, it's going to be doing a decent job for you. It's maintaining your spending power. Great. Well, those are really useful tips there. So hopefully um, people still won't have too much trouble digging out some good equity income funds. This week's Portfolio Clinic features a reader trying to fund care home costs via portfolio of investment trusts. He hopes his portfolio will generate 6% over five years or more. Now, in the current investment climate, is generating a return of 6% feasible from any types of funds or investment? Uh, it's difficult, <laughs> to put it mm. bluntly. Um, don't forget, you know, interest mm. rates are half a percent. Mm. The gilt yield, the 10-year gilt yield is uh, 1.7, I think, one point, uh, mm. under 2 anyway. It's ridiculously low. Ridiculously yeah. low. Yeah. And everything, you know, risk assets are priced off of the risk-free rate, which is the gilt rate. So corporate bonds yield about 3, high-yield bonds yield 4.5 to 5. You haven't got much yield out there. So getting 6 is it's not it's not easy um you need to look to out of favor places or more complex structures to do it now uh, one fund we've already mentioned for mm. example today uh the foresight failure in, uh, foresight sailor investment yeah, trust yeah. you know that's yielding six and a bit mm. now it's a very specific trust um mm. that uh is all about solar generation but it is yielding over six and inflation mm. links so something like that might be quite interesting but typically, getting six is is tough at the moment, I'm afraid. I mean, what kind of other assets or areas could you look to to achieve this? And, um, you know, what time, kind of time frame realistically, um, you know, um, should you invest over? Well, you've got, a, you know, high-yield bonds, you're getting close to six. Mm. Um, but but the don't forget, the higher the yield, the more risk to capital mm. you've got. Yeah. You know, assets yield things... Uh, assets, you know, investments yield a high number generally because people it's fallen out of favour. Mm. And so high yield bonds uh, have been less in favour. Emerging market bonds, for example, haven't been in favour particularly. Uh, uh, and you can look at those kind of things, but the higher the yield, the more risk you're taking. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, there are new things coming out that could be considered. There's a lot of um, uh, crowdfunding, for example. Mm. There's some new crowdfunding bonds that are starting to come out that are, you know, one, two, three-year bonds that are 
six, five, to, well, five to seven percent, say, for example. Yeah. But again, you've got to understand you are taking mm. more risk by going into these things mm. so that, you know, you want the bigger numbers to pay out as income, then you are going to have to take more risk to get it. Yeah. And perhaps like looking to a six percent, say, total return be more advisable. And, you know, how would you go about doing that? Yeah, I think so. And especially with um, uh, the way tax works yeah. at the moment so you've yeah. got you also every individual this tax year now has got mm. this five thousand pounds tax-free dividend allowance which is mm. great regardless of your uh, mm. tax rate that's very nice and capital gains are only now taxed at 20 yeah. percent on everything after apart you've from... used your annual allowance exactly as well, so, so you've got yeah. you've got you think about that you've mm. got five grand per person of tax-free dividends mm. you've got 11 just over 11 grand eleven thousand pounds of um capital gains tax yeah. allowance mm. and then you pay 20 percent mm. so actually you can um build a very tax efficient portfolio mm. uh, even outside of the ISA wrapper and don't forget the ISA mm. next year you could put £20,000 in from next April yeah. 15 this year so you can easily build a very tax efficient wrapper with a mix of ISAs and um, uh, just using the allowances, allowances yeah. without too much of a problem so you could look at I mean a 6% total return hmm, mm. that's achievable yeah. you, know, you think the, the, the yield on the FTSE is three point three i think 3.4 yeah something like that um yeah. add in you know uh, you, you you know people make these assumptions about what equities are going to deliver over the long term and they look at the dividend yield they look mm. at inflation and they add in sort of productivity gains and things and they come up with a number of seven to eight percent for long-term equity returns at the moment from these levels and actually you think well i've got three and a half from income mm. you don't need much more to get to the to get to the six yeah what i will say is though that if you are top slicing your capital you're taking mm. the income and top slicing your capital you're not going to grow your wealth and uh, obviously if inflation kicks in going back to what we've already talked yeah. about and you're you're maintaining your capital value at 100,000 but mm. you're not growing it and inflation kicks in uh, even at modest levels at 2% your buying power is diminishing by that level every year mm. so next year if you don't grow the 100 actually you you're only going to get 98 grand worth 1000 pounds worth of value from your portfolio yeah so you've uh, got to bear that in mind if you're taking the route mm. of top slicing the capital yeah I, I was just thinking about this portfolio in particular i mean regardless of inflation it's fund care home fees mm. my understanding is inflation or no inflation care homes are clanking up the fees all the time aren't they yeah exactly so you need yeah. you know they shouldn't um it's obviously difficult to say mm. they've got a very specific thing in mind but they probably still need some capital growth in there mm. to give themselves. Don't forget again. You know, think about it. If you've got getting three percent from a hundred thousand pound portfolio, mm. if you can grow that to one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, for example, over a period of time, and you're still getting three percent, your income has gone up from three thousand to four and a half thousand. Yeah. You know, so you've got a bigger base from which to deliver the income. Now, it doesn't help them in the short term because they've got this gap today. But you don't sacrifice it all. Say, going back to what I said, you know, mm. high yield. Lower, more risk and lower capital return prospects. Yeah. So you need to get a sort of a bit of a balance in there of, okay, we'll take some high yielding stuff there, but we still need some growth stuff in there. Yeah, to kind of kick in and and and, and try and keep pace with, you know, the growth in the fees, for example. Mm. Just as a kind of like a rough guide, what kind of funds um, would you? hold in there to get you know that bit of growth that bit of yield that mix to i think you i think you'd put a balanced portfolio together and i think you would have equity income Mm. you would have bond funds probably the high yielding ones you need Mm. a kicker in there you can put the more specialist things like the solar stuff or infrastructure although the yields and that is not huge 
but it's just about having the balance again that that you can draw the income from all of that, for example. Mm. I, I, you're going to struggle getting to the six. So mm. simply, you're not, you know, realistically, would you get to five? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly five is achievable with some capital growth prospects in there. Especially if you weighted it 60, 40 bonds to equities, for example, or something like that. You've got a chance of getting there, but you 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 still need that bit of capital growth kicker in there to um, to deliver the uh, the inflation proofing. So it's all got to ties in, really, doesn't it? You yeah. need you need the inflation yeah. proofing because yeah. you want the the base of your capital to still deliver the money to you. You were talking about mix, but um, this reader in the portfolio actually pretty much only holds investment trust. Is limiting yourself to one kind of security a good idea? Or should you look across the spectrum of investments? Uh, you should definitely look across the spectrum. Um, and, you know, you might find some, depending on the risk mm. tolerance, you might find some individual bonds worth looking at. Mm. Uh, yeah, some investment trusts in there, some unit trusts in there. You, you know, don't exclude one asset class because you've mm. historically gone, I only buy funds or I only yeah. buy investment mm. trusts or I only buy shares or mm. whatever it is. Just don't exclude others because there's some very good investments in all of these different areas. Some really good points there. Now that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. So it just remains to thank Ben Yearsley, Investment Director at High Net Worth Investment Service Wealth Club. You can read more on inflation proofing your portfolio, UK equity income funds and funding care home costs in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs> <laughs>